morning, everyone. Happy hump day and welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by my fellow Mirror columnist and associate editor, Kevin Maguire. Morning, Kevin. Morning, Foxy. Well, scum media, media, as we referred to on Twitter not <laughs> seconds ago. Sodom, is what I say. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. The live ones are read out on air. The best ones do get a news agenda mug. Mine, I'm afraid, is in the dishwasher, so I have my Gordon Brown Battle Bus mug I stole in uh, 2015, which is perhaps why he didn't win. Um, now, we're also available from now on uh, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and there's a podcast on Apple or Spotify. Just have a look for News Agenda Explained, which you can easily catch up on uh, if there's something you've forgotten or if the boss walks in or your wife or child or something and you manage to lose what it is that we're saying. So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on a picture of a police officer in the Kiev suburb of Erpin saying goodbye to his family as they flee the Russian onslaught together with a report about Volodymyr Zelensky's stirring speech to the House of Commons yesterday. Now, Kevin, you were there. How did it all go down? Oh, it went down incredibly well, as you would expect. MPs were willing him on. It was a video link. It was live. And they gave him a standing ovation at the beginning. They gave him a standing ovation at the end. But he was actually very good. All had to use headsets for the translation. Uh, none or very few, possibly one. I wonder if Bob Seeley can speak uh, as Conservative MP. He's a Russian expert. Whether he can speak Ukraine. But uh, you know, echoing uh, both uh, Shakespeare and Churchill was uh, very smart. It will fight them in the fields, for the streets, and on the shores. Was uh, was terrific. Now, interestingly, um, he's addressed the European Parliament. Uh, Brexiteers, uh, close your eyes, uh, your eyes and ears now. He got a standard ovation. He's also spoken to the U.S. Congress. And I was speaking to a Ukrainian journalist the, uh, this morning who said, actually, in Ukraine, very little coverage of this. They're more concerned about uh, bombs and shells falling. And he's issued so many stirring uh, messages, videos, uh, uh, Zelensky. It's kind of cometh the hour, cometh the man. He's rather heroic, which is ironic in a way, given since he was elected in 2019 with the support of a uh, Ukrainian oligarch who he fell out with, um, he'd been struggling as president of Ukraine. And had a, a very mixed time. But Putin has, uh, has, has made him and he stood up. And you've got to say, when you hear him uh, and watch him speak, uh, you think, whoa. That's a leader. That is a yeah. leader. Now, it's worth pointing out to those of our uh, viewers who might not know this and listeners on the podcast, um, Zelensky is very famous in Russia as well. He was a celebrity. So his show, Servant of the People, was a Russian language show. Uh, and he, he was also, when he was a comedian, he was touring, gigging around Russia all the time. That was the biggest yeah. local market that he wanted to break into. Obviously, that's what anyone would do. So he was a very famous face in Russia, as well as in Ukraine. Then he became um, president of Ukraine. And, uh, you know, this is basically, it's a celebrity. It's like, you know, it's like Ricky Gervais or someone becoming prime minister. It's someone that everybody has a huge amount of recognition of and quite a bit of admiration as we do for famous faces and so when he is doing speeches in russian actually is probably having more impact at home because he's there talking to the russian people and he knows full well his audience the people who are going to be watching him who who are getting around the traditional media and blackout in russia are younger people and they're the ones on the streets in many cases protesting against putin and putin uh, as jason told us on the uh, pop, 
told us on the broadcast on Monday, actually speaks like the Russian version of Ray Winston. He sounds, sounds like a bit of a lad, a bit of a gangster. So you've got Ray Winston up against Ricky Gervais. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm told, uh, an MP told me, you can actually see some of the people on uh, British TV. I think it's More 4, uh, hopefully it's dubbed, or uh, as, uh, as subtitles. I, th I think it was More 4. It's subtitles, it's not dubbed. I've, I've been through them. Mm. And uh, mm. I've watched them. They're, they're pretty good. They're very high production qualities. But mm. I, I would say the satire was a bit clunky. A bit, bit hit it with a hammer, you know. And they've only got the first pilot and the first two starts being presidential. Mm doesn't really, you don't really get to see that at the moment. All four needs to buy the rest of them in. Yeah, I mean, humour often doesn't travel across uh, across cultures. I could never quite understand why Benny Hill and Norman Wisdom saying it, Albania was popular. But we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of comedians uh, in uh, in British politics, but none of them professional, unless you count Boris Johnson, of course. Yes, well. Now, Nikki says, what's the plan for the UK to really start helping this poor country. Now, as our colleague Brian Reid says on page three, Kevin, until recently, our prime minister was spending his appearances in parliament, explaining why he didn't know he had there were parties in his flat. And here was a president being brutally honest about flats in the capital city, just a three hour plane ride away from here, being shelled to smithereens. And he said, you know, to be or not to be, almost as though Britain has some kind of a reputation for understanding and dealing with big issues. But were the MPs stirred enough by all this to actually do what Nikki wants there, which is to come up with a plan for us to really start helping out and doing far more than just talking. Well, it, de it depends what she means by uh, really uh, help, because there is more than talking um, going on now. Uh, weapons have been supplied. There are RAF uh, transporters leaving, leaving Bryce Norton, landing at an airfield near the Ukrainian border, delivering anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles. Uh, we're given quite a fair bit in humanitarian aid. Um, sanctions and uh, action against oligarchs has happened, although we do lag behind the European Union and the US certainly on uh, on oligarchs. I think there's about 100 who've been sanctioned uh, by those two and not been sanctioned by the UK. Economic crime bill, that's going through Parliament. Uh, well, it'll take, it gives them uh, six months grace before they have to register assets. So you can you can liquidate your cash and you, you can get out. But uh, more would certainly be done on, on the front of uh, uh, sanctions and against oligarchs. But she's talking about a, a no-fly zone and directly fighting uh, the Russians. That won't happen because armchair generals call for it, but any real generals know that you could risk spreading the conflict, more people die, and you end up with World War Three. And we've seen Poland, which has a, a fleet of uh, aged MiG-29 Soviet-era fighters, uh, was thinking of giving it to the Ukraine, but wanted to fly them to Germany to give them to the US to take to the Ukraine, but you'd have to fly them over the border into airspace where you could be shot down, and then you get a direct uh, conflict. So there is a, a fair bit of support, and I've been heartened in many ways by the way democracies have, uh, co have come together certainly on economic sanctions against uh, Putin's, uh, Putin's regime but if, she, if she's looking for the imposition of a no-fly zone it's easy to sit in a chair and say do it but the fact is you're going to war if you yeah. do yeah. it yeah. 
because they were operation if they took off from Poland. Now, Steve says, good morning, Steve. How is the UK doing with regards to Ukrainian refugees? You're a bit early, Steve. We're getting to that point in a minute. Hang on, hold your fire. Uh, now, on pages four and five, our colleague Chris Hughes uh, is reporting on Russians shelling humanitarian corridors for evacuees for the third day in a row. Entirely predictable, but still somehow appalling. Uh, Agence France Press has a harrowing description of the situation in Mariupol, where 430,000 civilians are besieged as Putin tries to obliterate the city to make a military corridor between two separatist regions. Uh, it says corpses lie in the streets of Mariupol. Hungry people break into stores in search of food and melt snow for water. Thousands are huddling in basements. Now, Kevin, these are people who are very soon going to be subject to massive outbreaks of disease with no water, no sanitation, dead bodies everywhere. Yeah. There'll be cholera, there'll be typhus, the sort of mass killers usually only seen in medieval yeah. concentration camps or the wake of humanitarian disasters. What can anyone do about that? Yeah, the, the the majority of victims in most conflicts aren't uh, people in uniforms. They are civilians, and uh, they're not just killed, killed by bullets and bombs and shells. They they die of hunger, thirst, starvation, lack of medical tre uh, treatment, and there's a huge uh, humanitarian crisis going here. Um, and there there is no easy answer if Putin uh, and Russian forces are going to continue behaving in this. This way, we get yes. We put on we put on pressure. You shame him. We talk about war crimes. You send in humanitarian aid if you can get it get it through. But if Putin is is determined to slaughter people in this way, uh, I'm, I'm afraid more will die. And it is yeah. it's, again, it's incredibly difficult. And it's really it's really frustrating because, of course, we can all rally to the d defense of Ukraine because it's the invaded country. It's a, it's a country like any other country with warts and all and, and it has its uh, false, uh, you know, it's, uh, its strengths and its, uh, its failures, but it's just absolutely wrong and barbaric what is happening in Ukraine because the Russians have, uh, have invaded, but there is no, there is no easy answer again. You know, we can condemn it, absolutely, but stopping it isn't so easy. No, if there is those outbreaks of disease, the Red Cross is going to, be suggested to go in whether or not Putin would let them in whether or not he'd let them in without shelling them while they're there who knows but um I think that those outbreaks of disease are absolutely predictable and someone should be trying to work out how to deal with that when it comes now Rimon Mer says can you explain the media's double standard over the Middle East and Ukraine I think you're probably referring there Rimon to the fact that the war in Syria and refugees from Syria um, have been discussed in entirely different terms to the war and the refugees from Ukraine. We've mentioned this a couple of times on this programme, and I've said quite clearly that I think that's mainly because the difference between the refugees is a matter of skin colour and faith. Yeah. Uh, and Russia is just as much an aggressor in the war in Syria. Uh, Russia is the uh, organisation which was behind uh, Bashar Assad's chemical attack on Aleppo after it had been shelled into obliteration, just as Mariupol is now. Um, and I think in the years to come, we're going to see Putin's hand at work in far more things as well. But we do have a real issue, it would appear, in this country because public opinion has switched. And what the media does, Rimon, is it does a really good job of reflecting public opinion. The media is made up of members of the public. We're very fortunate in that we get to see and hear more stuff than you do, perhaps, and then edit that down to present to you. But we are just normal human beings. Uh, and we're very good at reflecting what their readers think. And unfortunately, 
the opinion towards refugees from Syria was very different towards the public opinion to refugees from Ukraine. Now, there are people from both sides who would give you reasons for that. I'm going to leave it open. You decide. Well, racism was an issue. <laughs> there is no, there's no question. But as somebody who, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, opposed the NATO bombing of Belgrade and Serbia in 99, uh, the Iraq invasion in 2003, the Afghanistan invasion in 2001, the bombing of Libya in 2011, and much of what went on in, in Syria... Um, I think there are criticisms, uh, legitimate criticisms of the coverage of all of that, but do not let that detract from the, the fact that it is right to cover Ukraine the way, uh, the way it is. Yeah, no. Uh, we do have so, so, there are some other issues here which have already all been mentioned, of course. Now, keep asking us your questions. Get into the comments. What do you think about how the UK is handling the refugee crisis at the moment? Now, we've got on pages six and seven, the former heavyweight champ Vladimir Klitschko is mm -hmm. talking about being in the fight of his life. There are fresh mm -hmm. allegations about Russian hitmen operating on UK soil. And on pages eight and nine, the issue we can do something about, which is two million Ukrainians fleeing. Now, most want to stay near their homeland where they have connections, but some have connections here. And there are reports uh, on that page there, page eight, of a family with two young children told to drive from the Romanian border to Paris, then Brussels, then Calais, only to be told at each place that there were no visas available. Now, to be fair, Kevin, things have picked up a bit. They have improved. There are now, we're told this morning, 760 visas that have been issued, 6,000 appointments and walk-ins available at passport offices, where previously there was none whatsoever, and a reception centre promised by Priti Patel is sort of half set up, although the BBC caught it earlier this week just handing out some crisps and fizzy drinks to refugees, which is hardly appropriate. Uh, now, the government's response to this, you know, this has been an entirely predictable need, predictable for weeks, Kevin. As soon as we saw the troops massing on the borders of Ukraine, we knew there was going to be a refugee crisis. I'm sure some of the refugees did as well and started leaving early. But the government's response has been utterly shambolic. There's no other way to describe it, is there? No, no, it's utterly, utterly shambolic, woeful and shaming. Boris Johnson said Britain would be generous, uh, his government has not been. Uh, the Home Secretary is pretty ho hopeless. I think it's a mindset of trying to stop people coming into Britain, which you see with the Channel boat cr uh, crossings. Uh, you block off legal means. And so people take desperate measures. But what's happened in with the, with the Ukrainians? There's a small um, Ukrainian population in, in the UK. It's thought to be under 40,000, about 37,500. The Daily Mirror has a, a table today, the number of visas given. Now, as you say, it's gone up to 760. It was 500 when this was written. Ireland, geographically, in a similar position, 2,200, France, 2,500, Germany, 30,000, all the way up to Poland, 1.2 million. And uh, the, the Home Secretary and the, and the Prime Minister prefer the rhetoric to the reality. Uh, and yeah, they're putting bureaucratic obstacles in the way uh, of people you know, asking for, where, where's your, you know, your proof of residence in your bill? Now, of course, some checks have to be made, and you have Ukrainian interpreters, uh, I'm sure, you can quickly work out who is Ukrainian and who is not. But the Dominic Raab, the former foreign secretary during the Afghan uh, crisis last summer, where we appear to have learned absolutely nothing, the Justice Secretary now, was talking about genuine refugees and others. What? So if you're fleeing Putin's terror, you somehow have to uh, uh, pass a test whether your house was going to be shelled, whether your city was going to be 
people fleeing Russia who aren't under attack, who are yeah. still begging it because they know what's going on back home and they don't want to be conscripted and they don't want to get involved. Are they genuine refugees or not? And, uh, and the, I, think, I think the Conservative ministers are out of touch with public opinion because Hugo, the polling organisation, shows support for accepting Ukrainian refugees was up to 76%. It was actually increasing. Very few people opposed. But the government repeatedly talks as if it cares and then doesn't act. And we heard Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, again, uttering the lie from Boris Johnson in Parliament that Britain's taken more uh, vulnerable people than any other country in Europe since 2015. It ain't the case. If you, if you look at Syrians, uh, I've got hold of the figures, the UK took 29,000. That's compared to 34,000 Sweden, 41,000 Netherlands, 54,000 Austria, 70,000 Hung uh, Hungary, 78,000 Greece, 81,000 Sweden, 622,000 in Germany from Syria. But yet the government ministers keep saying Britain is taking more vulnerable people, refugees, than any other country in Europe. It just ain't the case. It just ain't true. And I think when they're in that propaganda uh, channel, they can't get out into the real world and make it happen and take uh, take people. You look at the generosity of the of the UK people. Incredibly large amounts of money and clothing and other goods have been given. People want to be welcoming. They want to help. And yet we've got an official callous a bureaucracy that is just uh, erecting obstacles and barriers rather than uh, helping uh, people reach uh, safety and giving them sanctuary. The government is always going to be cumbersome when you have a big operation to, to perform. But I can imagine various governments of both sorts in previous, uh, in my lifetime, that would have been able to pivot better than this. Because all it takes to say issue emergency visas yeah. uh, at Calais is one memo. It takes yeah. one and that's it. It is. Well, you just send, you send a team. If you can have pop-up vaccination centres, you can have a pop-up a, a pop visa centre. You send, you send enough officials over to Calais and you send them with laptops to link into the home office uh, system. They can take the fingerprints, do the biometrics, and they can sort it out very, very quickly. It's a, if, if you want to do it, if there is the will, there is a way. If you have no real will and you're just paying lip service, then you will just drag your feet and you, it just won't happen. And you, yeah. you will get people who fled terror now just being utterly frustrated. Can you imagine being in, in Calais with your with your kids and whatever belongings you could get? You, you've, you've perhaps driven out, you've got across Europe, you've traveled a thousand miles plus, and then you, you get somebody just saying, no, no, sorry, the computer says no. Exactly, especially if one of you is uh, already living in Britain. Um, so yeah. some Ukrainians here don't have right to remain permanently, and so they're having problems. They're being asked to produce utility bills to prove their identity or residency, which, of course, funnily enough, you know, is back in the bomb crater, mate. I don't have a utility bill. Yeah, um, go on. Just, just not, uh, nip back, will you? Uh, I'll pick it up. I'll ask the council to send me a fresh copy. Now, yeah. Karen says, I heard lots of families in Leeds are willing to take in families from Ukraine. What advice would you give the government? I think, <laughs> I think we've given our advice to the government, which is sort yourselves out. It's an interesting question. I think if people are prepared to open uh, open their homes, and I'm not sure this is the, the real answer, but if people are, they will need support. Where is the financial support and the counselling and 
giving them extra bedding or you know, translators or access to it or whatever. That's what you would have to do because you always get the right whingers who are just anti-refugee, asylum seeker, migrant. They say, oh, well, would you have one living in your house? Well, you've got traumatized people. I suspect they need a bit more support than just going into a home. Some people with the best, uh, best will in the world and uh, open hearts will say, yep, somebody can come and stay. But then after, after a week, they may find it's not, uh, it's not perfect. It is not right. quite working out. And I'm not sure it's the best for the refugees either. No, these are the very deeply traumatised people. And there's lots of great generosity going on. Jonah there is saying, I'm willing to take families in. We live in Rutland. Oh. Um, again, like Kevin says, there's a lot of trauma going on. It, you know, if you're not a professional uh, who can deal with some of the issues those women, children, older people have, then it may not be for the best. But, of course, recently we've been throwing refugees into disused army barracks full of cockroaches and COVID, and that's not what we want to do with the Ukrainians, is it? Because they're not brown. Now, um, we need to talk about something else. There is other news that disgraces our parliament. And yesterday, former Speaker John Burkow was banned for life from the parliamentary estate for something he says he didn't do and was never asked about. We should add. Now, Parliament's independent expert panel has upheld 21 accusations of abuse of parliamentary staff, calling him a serial biller, bully and a serial liar. Now, the Labour Party's also suspended him. But here's the issue I've got with this, Kevin. Parliament and Labour have been tougher on this bully than Boris Johnson was on Pretty Patel, who was accused of not dissimilar behaviour. And he effectively forced his standards advisor to resign on principle when he failed to issue any disciplinary action to Pretty Patel. Now, the Tories don't like Burko at all. They would love to crow about this, but they can't really because it shows the Prime Minister is a raging hypocrite when it comes to bullying, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, uh, John Burko, I thought, I thought he was a very good speaker, but the report is absolutely damning. Uh, there, there's no question. I think his response to it has been in, inappropriate and wrong. He should have. Literate, uh, I think is the word. Yeah, he should have shown some contrition and uh, and and apologise. I suppose the problem is he, de he denies it, and that that's going to there's going to be a big conflict here. But you're quite right that there we are. Alex Allen, who, who was the uh, Prime Minister's uh, standards advisor, conducts a report into Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, finds a pattern of behaviour in departments she's worked in where she's been bullying uh, junior staff, some of them suffered terribly, and the Prime Minister just stands by, uh, by it. Uh, so it is absolute double standards, uh, completely double standards. I think you've, you've got to condemn all bullying, or you, you're just a hypocrite. And as I say, I, I rated uh, John Burko. Um, I like John Burko, um, but he's been found guilty of uh, shameful behaviour. Uh, he's been punished. Uh, Pretty Patel was found guilty of equally shameful behaviour. And she just uh, so let make a little statement saying, I'm sorry, she's still in the Conservative Party. She's still a Conservative MP. And she's still the Home Secretary being pretty hopeless over over refugees so yeah there's an absolute uh, double standards in hypocrisy actually yeah now, i've i've worked with some some pretty lunatic people kevin over the years fleet street some of fleet street's finest bullies i think it's fair of saying i've never experienced anything like uh, what john burko has been accused of in that report um and perhaps there's a difference there between the way we treat female bullies and male bullies that male bullies are more likely to be violent smash things up as john burko was accused of whereas female bullies will undermine and destroy yeah. uh, 
been subject to both. I think it's the female ones I dislike the most, actually, and find most difficult yeah. to deal with. Now, you know, newspaper, newspapers used to be uh, terribly rough. I think TV and radio were, were the same, and there was a lot of unacceptable behaviour back then that was wrong in that era, and now you would not get away with it. But it's well, uh, probably, We'll talk about those things off air, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to hear your 10 worst things we can talk about. Now, um, we do have some good news in the world, uh, and here it is. But first of all, before we do that, I just want to say keep asking us your questions, get into the comments. What do you think about the refugee crisis? What do you think about Vladimir Zelensky's call on parliament to do more? How do you? I keep seeing lots of people talking about how there should be a no fly zone, but no one at all talking about how we can disarm. Russia's nuclear missiles that would come our way if we had a no-fly zone. So uh, if you've got any big ideas about that, do let us know. Who knows? Uh, it might it may get as far as Boris Johnson's here. But first off, there is some good news in the world. We've hunted very hard to find it this morning, but here it is. Now, you might be forgiven for thinking that COVID has gone away. But it hasn't. Uh, cases are actually rising. 11,000 people are still in hospital as of this morning. But the scientists are not resting on their laurels and are now putting £32 million pounds, into a variant-proof version of the vaccine, which hopefully we would only need one of. Now, Kev, this is the good news we've wanted for the past two years, really. If there wasn't a war on, Boris Johnson would be just screaming and shouting about this. And it's been utterly eclipsed by other things but this is a, a massive massive win for humanity isn't it yeah oh, the vaccine uh, is yeah covid ab absolutely um but given that the prime minister effectively declared uh, covid over he, he, he would have found it very difficult to, uh, to, to really actually make a make a great deal of this what i like is it's been developed at cambridge university because their noses must be out of uh, joint that uh, because the astrazeneca vaccine was over in oxford you know a bit of a rivalry between uh, those two old uh, old establishments not just in uh, in boat races but no it's uh, if, you, if you can get a vaccine and it's using the mrna technology that's in the moderna and the pfizer uh, vaccines if you can get it so it can adapt to any mutation then that is a great uh, advantage um i know it's good news uh foxy and i don't want to rain on it slightly but i think earlier in the week didn't we see we passed the six million global death mark yeah uh, yeah <clears throat> which is you know even more than vladimir putin's managed although who knows by the end of it mm -hmm. um might be getting into those uh, those kind of figures. Hopefully not. Uh, well done to the scientists of, of Cambridge. Thank you very much. Mike says, one for the good news section, Andy Murray has pledged the rest of his year's winnings in support of the people of Ukraine. That would be good news, Mike, if he didn't have a crocked knee, mate. Um, he's sort of hopping around the court at the moment. Hopefully he will have some winnings. We like Andy Murray. Uh, but, you know, we'll I'm not quite sure how much there will be, put it that way. Uh, and also some other good news uh, yesterday, which was that in, in Parliament, Veterans Minister Leo Doherty finally said that the government is considering compensation for nuclear test veterans on the back of uh, the latest health study, which uh, was filed for today's paper, but hasn't made it because there are 70,000 spreads on Vladimir Putin instead. Now, Leslie says, why are we reporting that some British soldiers are going to fight, putting Britain in danger? We need to stop reporting it and get them out. It's not reporting it that's the issue so much, Leslie. It's the fact that Liz Truss told them to go. And the problem here, Kev, isn't there, is the massive propaganda win for Putin. If he were to arrest a British person, whether it's a soldier or a 
a civilian who wants to be a soldier, if he were to be able to get his hands on one and stick him on the telly, yeah. as, as the Ukrainians are with Russian soldiers, he would say, look, the West is secretly fighting the war against Russia. It would turn public opinion back home. It would give him excuses to say NATO is up to all kinds of trouble and would be a step closer to nuclear war, which is why everyone then told his trust to shut up, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's why the hotheads uh, shouldn't go uh, and fight. I think the Daily Record has a story of about a, a football who had been banned from every ground in Scotland, saying he was going to go over and fight. I'm not sure that's what the Ukrainians need. I think they're going off trouble uh, as it is. But you're right, serving soldiers going over, and it's the Sun that reports uh, today on the front, uh, front page, a 19-year-old uh, guardsman has apparently gone AWOL was thought to be heading that way, and it's, that is absolutely banned. The MOD said no soldier at any time on leave or whatever can go to Ukraine. You're right, it's, it would be a propaganda coup for Putin at home. Now, we, we might know that the soldier's not there uh, under the orders of, uh, of the MOD, but he'd be, he, he would be paraded as such. Uh, incidentally, those uh, Russians who are paraded by the uh, Ukrainians, that's a breach of the uh, Geneva Convention, it's got to be said. I don't think uh, Putin would worry uh, about that uh, either. So, no, it, what a mess it would uh, it would be. So, yeah. It would be atrocious. Um, so if you do know anybody who's thinking about going to Ukraine, tell them not to. Unless they it's not a computer game. It's not. Uh, it's not a film. Now the soldier will probably know that, but other people don't. So I think it's really glamorous. Uh, look, you, apart from getting killed, uh, you, you might get captured. Yeah. Um, now Jackie says, "Do we not have? Did we not have pop-up hospitals for the pandemic? Why can't these places be used for the refugees?" I think the Nightingale hospitals have all been disbanded and packed back away again now, Jackie. So we can't re can't necessarily have them back up uh, and but you're right in a sense and Kevin was earlier on as well there's no reason we've been invited by the French interior ministry to set up a reception center in Calais which is yeah. something that said we should have had the entirety of the European migrant crisis mm -hmm. if you're going to have a bunch of people coming here they're either going to throw themselves under the trains or into the channel or they're going to go to the reception center where they don't die and you can analyze them and process them and make sure they've all got water and safety and health and everything else which would be the far more humane and sensible way of doing it but looks like we're receiving them then doesn't it a significant proportion foxy of the boat people who come over are found to have legitimate claims it's just yeah. they couldn't get processed on the other side not all of them i'm not pretending that by by any means but some do and again if the migrants are in calais just go to calais yeah it's the rules and the process which is stopping them coming through in a, in a more legitimate way. It's the fact that the, the young girl, I think the Kurdistan bride who drowned in the channel alone in this year, she was coming to join her fiancé. But according to the rules, because they weren't married, she couldn't join him. She can't marry until she gets here. But she's definitely her fiancé. Anyway, Tracy says, Marianne Riley, Putin... Oh, she's talking to someone else in the comments. Sorry. Putin does not want the new world order. That's why they're all hating on him. He's cleaning up the deep state in one of the most corrupt countries in the world thanks ivan um get back to work uh because you have some cyber wars to you know carry out in ukraine uh putin is not cleaning anything up he just he hasn't he isn't he's never going to he's conducted nerve agent attacks in the uk he has murdered a british woman called <laughs> sturgis he has smeared he's got some poor goon to smear novichok in the underpants of his main political opponent um he's possibly 
thrown people off balconies, had them shoved out of windows uh, and, you know, had them stuffed into bags in central London because they were doing something he didn't approve of. He is not by any means cleaning up the deep state, right? He is a thief and a gangster and a scumbag. Uh, and I think that's pretty much going to be how it goes down in the history books. And it doesn't just need to be me and I'm not being paid to say it. And if he wants to come and have an argument with me, I'll happily have an argument with Vladimir Putin, although I won't let him anywhere near my underpants. Now, Nikki says, being British right now, I'm ashamed of uh, our governments just sit back and watch this war crime. If they can do it to them, they can do it to any country. <sighs> yes, Nikki, you're entirely right. Um, and it's a bit of a grim note to end on, I'm afraid, but we are going to have to wind up. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for your comments. Um, catch up later on podcast or YouTube if you want to. And we'll see you again on Monday for another edition of the News Agenda when hopefully, maybe, the Russians will be even further stuck in the mud and nearer a treat than they are now. Thanks for watching, everybody. Bye-bye.